I put it down for Josh. Uh, The scripture reading this morning comes from Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you, not for, or have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when, I, when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. These words are God's words. I wanted to just mention that uh, Mark Jr. and I got to go to a hockey game last night, so uh, that's a good thing. Uh, Unfortunately, the good guys ended up on the short end of the stick. But we had a really great reason to get to go, um, not just to enjoy a hockey game, but I had a chance to see a friend who uh, I haven't had a chance to see in about a year. And some of you here met him, and I just wanted to encourage us about what Jesus is doing before we take a look at our study. Uh, My friend Brad played for the Portland Pirates, and now he's he's an assistant coach for Springfield. But... um, when I met him, he started coming to a, a chapel that we were doing, and he told me, you know what, I'm just spiritual. He says, I don't, I don't know Jesus, I just, I'm just spiritual, I, I just kind of want to see what this is all about. Last night as we were talking, uh, it was just so neat to hear about how far Jesus has taken him. And uh, he came to trust Jesus about two years ago. Now, the whole story starts out the way that you don't really want the story to start out, but the great thing is to see the way that Jesus has changed the whole story now. And it was encouraging to get to talk to him. You know, a couple of things that he shared with me uh, last night, just to, to talk through a few minutes before he hopped on the bus and drove all the way back, was to hear about how um, he, he loves coaching, he loves being a dad, but spiritually so much has changed for him. He said in the last two months he just finished reading the New Testament, and he's starting on the Old Testament now, and he's hoping to get that done maybe in about three or four months. Uh, he gets up at five o'clock in the morning so that he can spend time with Jesus. They are connected into a church. He loves being part of some of the fellowship teams there in his church. And he's been going through a couple different growth groups as well. And it's just really encouraging for me to hear 
you know, how he's doing. One of my favorite questions is to ask these guys, hey, how's your soul? And I, I just want to remind us that Jesus is working powerfully today. Jesus is drawing people to himself. And he is working in these guys. You know, he, he's working in their lives. And one of the things that we love is this concept, this reality that Jesus is still, he's at work. So some of you who are looking at your neighbors, some of you who are looking even at your own children, some of the part of the story of this is that Brad's wife, her dad teaches at a Bible college, but she walked away from her faith completely. I mean, she she... She walked as far away from her faith as she could possibly get just to come around in the long run to see Jesus take not only her, but now her husband and their daughter to come to know and love and follow and trust Jesus. So be encouraged today. I, I was just, I was really encouraged to see that, to get to talk to him again and hear about the progress that Jesus is continuing to make in his life. So um, I want to encourage us, let's continue to trust and love and, and lean on Jesus to do the same thing for the people that you're, you're trusting Jesus for as well, okay? Let's pray, and we're going to take a look at the text here. Father, help us today. We need your help because you are the one who wrote this. Uh, it is, it's your word, and we, we honor you for your word. Lord, we are thankful that you reveal things to us that really, God, would not make sense if it wasn't for what you had taught us. Uh, if, if you didn't help us, life wouldn't make much sense. And this topic today especially. So I want to ask that you would help us today. That your spirit would just move and, and show us who you really are. I want to pray that you would take this from being intellectual and move it as well. Tie it, marry it deep down inside of our souls so that we have the confidence and the resource and the hope and the help the next time that we are walking through suffering. God, it's an important topic. We pray these things in Jesus' name, full of confidence and hope. In your name we pray, amen. So you've got Hebrews chapter 12 open, and uh, as you've been tracking along with us, we've been going through this series that Jesus really is the righteous reward of faithfulness. What we get for following Jesus is Jesus, and there's nothing better in all the world than to have Jesus okay so that's that's the goal one of the things that we have not drawn out as clearly yet as we will today is this we've kind of sensed this as we've gone through the text more and more it's becoming clear though that this book is written to people who are really just beaten down they're so beaten down and pressed down that they are ready to give up the book of Hebrews really is in, in a, a session of intense pastoral counseling. That's what the book of Hebrews really is all about. He wants to help his people deal with the brutal realities of life and in those brutal realities, help them then to be able to be the kind of people who can love. We've all faced the brutal realities of life and we all will face them more and more, will we not? As we're younger, brutal realities of life are the fact that you have to pay for your car insurance. As you get older, it gets a lot heavier, doesn't it? Amen? Yes, it does. And I know some of you have walked through some of these things. But let me also point this out to you. Today, 
the brutal realities of life weigh on us just as much as any other generation. It is a very painful and difficult time for us to to live. Some of the some of the um, some of the images of what life was going to look like for people in the last five years have really been crushed. But I thought it was interesting. Tim Keller says this: "There's never been a culture that gave us fewer resources for dealing with." those brutal realities of life and death than ours today. There's never been a culture that gave us fewer resources for dealing with the brutal realities of life and death than ours. Have you caught this in movies? Have you seen this on TV? Everyone understands and recognizes that there are going to be really difficult things that we go through. The old death scene in the movie, right? The death scene on the TV show. The person's going to go through this. This is supposed to be this profound moment where we're supposed to give insight in how we're supposed to handle the passing of a loved one. And yet most of the time, there's little to no answer inside of that. Our culture has very little um, ability to handle this kind of pain. You've also got to kind of say this. Probably this is the generation that has had the lowest tolerance for pain out of all of them. Because we've got so many things to manage pain. We can handle pain. It doesn't mean that your life is easy. I'm not, I'm not saying that. Some of you are in difficulty. Some of you are walking through pain. But, but as a culture, we're really not ready to deal with it. So we better pay attention here to this text. What I want to do today is remind us really about pain and, and how we should view pain, our calling in pain. We want to talk about the source of pain, and then we want to also talk about the promise that comes inside of pain. And it all flows here out of Hebrews chapter 12. Matt just read it for us, but let's start out by looking at this. I want to talk first about the calling that's on our lives that we are called to press on through pain. Look at that there. We saw in in Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to see it again here in chapter 12, that there is this calling. The Old Testament saints walked through suffering. They walked through pain. Difficulty marked their lives, and that's why he starts out there in in chapter 12, verse 1. He says, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, in other words, the people who discipled us, the people who showed us what the Christian life was supposed to look like, We now also, along with them, should lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Our our, our pastor's bringing us into the equation. His original writers, he's bringing them in, tying them in. He's also tying us in as well. He's saying, listen, there's a race, there's a marathon, there's this course that's laid out and every one of us needs to run this. Verse 2, we're supposed to look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So as we're supposed to run, we're also supposed to recognize what? That Jesus has done the very same thing. It's not only the Old Testament saints, it's actually Jesus who's also run through this same race. Pain, difficulty, sorrow, suffering. And in fact, verse 3 then says this, Consider him, 
So think about Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. What do you see in there? We see a few things. First of all, we see that this pain is real. There's pain and sorrow that just fills this entire chapter. Life is an agonizing struggle. It's a race. It's a, rest, a wrestling match. It's, it, in here is the Greek word that we get the word agony from. Okay? And what he's saying is, Jesus did what? Jesus endured. And what did he endure? He endured hostility. Remember that they had faced hostility before. We saw that in chapter 10. We're going to see it a little bit uh, in a moment. But we saw that they took, you know, the, 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 the taking of their possessions, the taking of their freedom. We, we saw that they've already walked through this. He's saying, look, in the same way as you've gone through that, Jesus has gone through this. He's endured hostility. And where did that hostility come from? From sinners. From others. From those that were outside. So he's saying, you've got to consider Jesus so that you don't grow weary or faint-hearted. He also reminds them of this in verse 4, though. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. Jesus went all the way to shedding his blood. It has not yet cost these people that much. But does that make life easy? Don't you love the person who comes up to you and reminds you, hey, well, it hasn't killed you yet. Thanks for being optimistic. But what he's saying to them is, you've got to continue going on. Why does he need to tell them that? Well, when tragedy strikes, we tend to feel like life is really out of control, don't we? When when tragedy really kind of crashes down on top of you, it, it begins to feel like everything is out of control and we don't know what we're going to do and, and things seem scattered. Have you walked through that? We, we don't have clean, easy answers for those times. But one of the things we need to recognize that, that our author is going to point us to in here is going to say this. Just because it isn't our plan doesn't mean that there isn't any plan. Just because it isn't our plan doesn't mean that there isn't any plan. And in fact, John Newton said this, everything is necessary that he, God, sends. And nothing can be necessary that he withholds. That's going to set some of the groundwork for us for this passage. Because we have to be ready to handle suffering. The call is to push us through the pain to continue on through the pain. Why? There's going to be layers to this answer inside of here, but let me just say this. One of the huge benefits of suffering, one of the huge benefits of suffering is that suffering pushes us deeper. Suffering pushes us deeper because it causes us then to have to dig for deeper answers than the ones that we had settled for up to this point. When we're young, we come up with some answers. When we listen to our society, we come up with some answers. And the answers are that life is all about enjoying yourself. 
Life is about pleasure and about comfort and about joy and about having what you want. Pain really acts like an earthquake to begin to shake that, to stress that, to reveal the structural flaws in our worldview. Pain is actually good for us. It helps us to go deeper. When we really think through what is the meaning of life, pain helps us to move forward. Do we understand that? So let's take a look then at pain's source. We're going we're to continue on here in, in verses 3 through 6. Where does pain come from? Now you can see it when you look in here. Remember there, verse 3, considered him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Where does pain come from? There's really two answers in the text. The first answer is that pain comes from our adversaries. And, and don't forget, again, the context. If you've been tracking with us, or you can go back and listen to the earlier weeks if you want to do that. But, you know, if you go back to chapter 10, verses 32 through 34, we see that there's these adversaries. There's, there's sinful people who are trying to destroy, to oppress, to persecute God's people. Pain comes from there. We see that in chapter 11, 35 through 38, when we look at these Old Testament saints, these prophets, these preachers, these kings. And we we see that, again, from outside sources, sinful people have always tried to destroy the, the work of God. So pain comes from God's adversaries, from those who oppose God. But that's not the only answer in this text, is it? That's not the only answer. Because ultimately, that's not really answer that our pastor comes to, is it here? Where does pain come from? What this passage says is that what our enemies do to us out of spite, God is doing to us out of love. What our enemies do to us out of spite, God is doing to us out of love. You know, take take verse 6 there. The Lord disciplines the ones He loves, and He chastises every son whom He receives. The NAS translates that scourges, whipping. Who does it say is doing that? It doesn't say enemies. Who's directing this? He's looking back at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. And our author is giving what is a surprising answer. And I realize for some of you, this is an answer that you would find very hard to believe. And in fact, you would find it, it painful to consider this. That suffering not only comes from those who are opposed to God, but that suffering actually comes from the hand of God. Now, we need to make sure we hear this all the way through so that we hear it properly. This is what's going to give us the foundation to handle pain and suffering. But the first thing that we need to see is that our passage is saying, ultimately, when we look at difficulty, when we look at pain, when we look at suffering, we resonate what John Newton says. Because Newton, again, said, everything is necessary that he sense nothing can be necessary that he god withholds 
Our pastor is going to tell us here that when we go through this, God is not simply somebody who cleans up the mess. God is someone who actually initiates the process. God is not a plastic surgeon who says, you've been through this horrific accident and now there are scars, there are effects that others have brought upon you. So let me see what I can do to try and fix that, to work things out together for good. Let me see what I can do to repair that. That's not what this passage says. Instead, this passage says that God is a loving surgeon who says that needs to come out. That needs to be removed. So I'm going to cut carefully. I'm going to cut intentionally. I'm going to cut for your good. But I will do what is good for you. But it will come with pain. It will come with difficulty. God plans the incision. He doesn't just repair the damage inflicted by someone else. Now, to be able to hold this well for us together, because I know some of us here would sit there and say, hey, I have a strong biblical background. Others would say, I don't have a strong biblical background. And, and, and what I want to do is make sure we get a good picture of this. We need to know that there's really two biblical perspectives on your suffering. Because let me, let me say this, when you're neck deep in suffering and in pain, Sometimes this answer right here that we just gave is not the most comforting. It is still true. We need to hold both realities inside of us, don't we? We, we need to hold on to both of these. One perspective, though, biblically, that we really need to understand and need to know is that God hates the evil that we face. He did not create sin. Because of the way that we've behaved, we've brought evil and suffering into this world. Amen? We have. And in fact, God has gone to great lengths to rid the world of this evil and of this suffering and of this sin someday. That is the story of the Bible. So God is, is uh, he hates suffering. He looks into your circumstance. He looks at your pain. And he does not just sit there like, like sometimes we do when somebody we know is in deep tragedy, in deep pain, in deep hurt. And we walk up and what do we say? Well, God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It comes across glib. It comes across as uncaring. I'm not even going to ask people to raise their hands who've, who've experienced that. We do need to realize that God is opposed to sin and to suffering and has worked powerfully to rearrange our world. But we need this other perspective as well. Because we won't be able to handle life without it. The second perspective is that God is loving in bringing pain. In fact, physical pain is necessary to remain healthy, is it not? Where do we know this from most practically? The gym. All right, Vicki said it. She, she was right there with me. The gym, right? Physical pain is necessary in order to remain healthy. 
when we get to the gym, do we feel good? Maybe before things start. How do you feel when you're partway through it? Or, or maybe, maybe you don't go to the gym. Maybe it's at home you've got a gym. Or, or maybe you work out with gym, like on the video or something like that. Or, or I, I don't know where your spot is where you get that physical exercise. But when you're in the middle of it, does it feel good? Now, you always hear people who are like, yeah, I love this. But honestly, what happens? We go from feeling strong to feeling very weak. But without that, what's the reality for us? Instead of becoming healthier, we become weaker. We need resistance. We need suffering. We need pain. These things are elements. In the same way as the gym helps our physical strength, our faith will never grow if it's not tested. Our confidence in God will never be strengthened if we don't go through suffering. We will not become persevering people. We will not become deep people. You do not hear about people who say, wow, last year I really grew in Jesus. I really became deep in understanding Jesus because everything went well for me. It's not our experience, is it? Look back at your own life. When were those times where you gained the deepest insight? The times where you leaned on Jesus the most? I'm willing to bet that those times came as you walked through pain and suffering. We will not grow stronger. In fact, we'll probably feel like we're getting weaker. Even as we're walking through pain, as you're walking through suffering, do you tend to walk through suffering and think, well, I'm getting stronger every day? No. And in fact, what do we feel like? We feel like, wow, my faith is getting weaker and weaker to persevere with this, to make it through this. But that's what happens in the gym. There's a physical parallel. There's a physical kind of a, of a showing of what this looks like spiritually. When you're on your third set, you don't feel stronger at that moment. You realize that you're getting weaker. But you're getting weaker in order to get what? Stronger. In the same way, for those of you who are suffering, for those of you who are persevering, Let me just call you, please, continue on. That's what our pastor's saying. I know at this point, you probably do not feel like you're getting stronger. But God is working for your good. That's why we have to get to this third part here, verses 7 through 11, to see God's purpose. Not just its source, but we need to find out what God's purpose is. What's the purpose? What's the design of? of that um, of that pain, of that suffering, of the difficulty that you're going through. Why is it there? Our culture argues this. If God was good and loving, there would be no sin. There would be no sickness. There would be no pain in my life. If God was truly great, my life would be perfect. And thus they discount God completely. That's not the argument of this text, is it at all? 
The argument of this text is because God is good, because God is loving, because God is caring, because he wants to strengthen you, God will bring purposeful, non-destructive, in other words, suffering that will not harm you ultimately, loving discipline in your life. So what is the purpose of pain? Our text says it's love. Now, notice this because, you know, essentially they're going to switch metaphors. And now this isn't me switching metaphors. This is our pastor here who wrote this switching metaphors. He's changed from this race, run, stretch, go to the gym kind of metaphor. And he's going to change it over, isn't he? Why? Because most of us, when we're deep in pain and suffering, it's not a coach that we want at that moment. Because what does a coach come and do for us? They tell us how to improve our game. What do we want during that moment? We want a loving father. We want someone who cares deeply for us. So he's going to change this metaphor And he's drawn this picture of a dad who is seeking that their child will flourish. That their their child will, will get what is good for them. What a dad really ought to be. What a dad ought to do. And it says there in verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you like sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline. Now, ladies, let me just point this out to you real briefly. He's not being sexist here. He's actually elevating you according to his cultural standing at that day. He's actually bringing women in under this position of sons, which back in that culture was to take you up from being, say, where culture there would hold someone as a female as as low and less and not as 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 worth and he's instead saying you ladies you're with the men in 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 Jesus's eyes God is treating you the way that he would treat sons that was a big statement back then big statement about your value about your importance in Christ so don't read this the wrong way according to our cultural lines understand it from his cultural lines God is treating you as sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Hey, if you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you're an illegitimate children and you're not a son. Then he's going to draw this other parallel. He's going to say, okay, besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? We had dads who did the best they could, and we respected them. And what did our dads do for us? Did they give us everything that we wanted? Did they try to make our life as simple as possible? Now, it probably depends on what age you are, how you answer that question. Right? Because when you're 7, 8, 9, 10, and dad says to you, come on, we've got to go work. We're going to work on this project together. What's your, what's your picture of, of how wonderful that pain is? What would be better than that pain at that moment? It's about anything. 
right? Because you have designs for your life when you're seven, eight, nine years old. And they probably include like TV and playing video games all day. It doesn't seem loving. When you, when you go to your teacher at school, does it seem loving that they make you learn math? It doesn't seem that way, does it? It doesn't feel that way. Now, time reveals to us how incredibly loving it was that we had parents that pushed us. And in fact, what's it that you hear people say so often? I'm so glad my dad would not settle. I'm so glad that that my my dad pushed me. And in fact, we've heard some of our friends, I know I certainly have, and some of you have probably heard the same, where we have friends who sit there and go, boy, I wish my dad loved me enough to make me do what I needed to do when I was young. Have you heard that? Children who feel unloved because their parents did not discipline them. They wished that their parents would have done that for them. In the same way, as a good father, God is stretching us for our good. A good father brings consequences into a child's life, right? This is not payback. This is not anger. When we hear the word discipline today, our culture's taken that. We've twisted that. We've turned that into this concept of, of this angry, abusive parent. This parent who can't control their frustration. For some people, when they hear that word discipline, this word does not flow well. But the, the picture here is, this is non-destructive, carefully designed pain. And it's only for the good. And it's not any more than is necessary. If you have children, you've done this, Right? child wants to go and do this. They want to go to somebody's house. They want to get, enjoy some sort of thing. And you say, well, you're supposed to clean your room. But you haven't cleaned it. So what do we do? There's this carefully chosen, non-destructive, purposely designed pain that says, I'm sorry, you cannot go to your friend's house tonight. Is that because we enjoy ruining our kids' lives? No. It's because we love them. We want them to grow. We know it's going to take this to help them get where they need to go. Amen? This is who God is. Because we go on this and we say this. Verse 10, talking about those fathers, they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. In other words, they made mistakes. You have made mistakes. There are times where we have not done what is really good. There are times where we have sinfully reacted. But what's the reality about God? Again, in verse 10, he disciplines for our, us for our good so that we may share his holiness. When God disciplines us, it's always exactly what we need. Never too much. When he walks us through suffering, it's always exactly what is good for us. Never too much. It is non-destructive. It is carefully designed. It is only for good, and it's never more than necessary. 
And in fact, one of the amazing things that we don't always understand is that God brings just the right of brokenness to our outsides, to, to you know, outside of us, to be able to deal with the brokenness that's already inside of us. That pain and suffering acts as a treatment. You can go through the Bible and you can see story after story after story. God needs to get to the brokenness. He needs to get to it. He needs to address it. So you take King David there in his, in his adultery and his murder. And what does God do? God brings brokenness to him. There's consequences when his son from that illegitimate union dies. And that is painful. But do you see how David reacts in that? He knows that God will never bring him more than he needs. He's never going to, it's careful, it's non-destructive. And instead he reacts to God and says, God, will you change this? Can we change this? Can we do this differently? And yet, what does God need to get to? There was a flaw. There was a sin area inside of David, this man after God's own heart. And God said, the way I need to get to this is bring the suffering. It's going gonna, it's gonna to touch you. We've got to address this. You can look through that in person after person. Scripturally, you can look at that in our lives as well. Verse 11, almost overstate, understatement here, right? For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. What is the purpose of suffering? Look at, look at these words that are in this passage in verses 10 and 11. Suffering is for our good. Suffering brings about our holiness. Suffering establishes our peace. And suffering brings us righteousness. Our good, our holiness, our peace, our righteousness. God's pain is not vindictive. God's suffering that he brings us through is not just um, something he threw out there to see if it would stick. It's intentional. It's powerful. And it's good for us. But here's the key thing for us. We can come to this text and say, I see that. The question is, will you believe it? Will you believe that? Will we take this and say, okay, God, the suffering that I am in right now or the suffering that I will face tomorrow or the suffering that I've faced in my past, the the key question here is you can either sit there and say, God, that's not good. I reject you. God, I I, I, I don't approve. Veto. I, I will not go forward with that because I'm just going to not believe you that you said that this is what's true. A little overstatement there. For most of us, it sits there and just says, oh, great. Right? Yeah, it figures. Why does it always happen to me? Little little sentences, little small statements. We don't lash out at God, and yet the equivalence of that small statement. Waiting for the other shoe to drop. What are we saying in that moment? 
whether we understand it or not, what we're saying is, God, you are not good to me. Yeah, I must have done something wrong. Thus, you gave me the punishment I deserved. We're wrong because we didn't, we didn't get the punishment we deserved. But that's what we feel like. So we hop in our car on a cold winter's night and we think, of course, it's going to break down on me because this is what happens. My life does, I, I can't catch a break. Have you heard that? I mean, don't we feel this way? I, I, I'm not persecuting us. I'm calling us to say, consider the way that we act and react. Consider carefully. Because what our passage is saying is, you know what? God is saying instead, no. Now you're misreading this. You're misreading this. There's really three responses that we go through, and they're, they're found there in verses 5 and 6. But he says, my son, do not regard lightly. When we regard lightly, that's one opportunity we have to respond to this. We can say to the Father, you know what, Father? You're my enemy in doing this to me. Rather than seeing the sin that's in my soul as my enemy. So I regard lightly. It's the kid who, you know, you say to them, well, I'm sorry, because you didn't clean your room, you can't go to the overnight. And what do they say to you? Well, I didn't want to go to the overnight anyway. Regarding lightly the discipline of the Lord. That's one mistake we can make. The second one is to, uh, it follows, a, don't grow weary when we're reproved by Him. The second one is despair. If I can't see the good in this, there cannot be any good in this. That's the second place that we can end up in. The third is we can trust the Father. We can be humble. We, we keep doing the right thing. Okay, and like, like the gym, we, we keep exercising, we keep moving forward, we, we remain steadfast, we take the challenge that it's in here to say, continue, move, keep doing what you know is right. Sometimes in those moments, what do we do? We stop reading God's Word, we stop praying, we stop connecting with people because we feel like, oh God, you've, you've abandoned me, so I'm abandoning you. No, instead, what we need during those times is we need God's people. We need God's word. We need to pray. We need encouragement. So we keep doing those things. But the big part of this is we fix our eyes on Jesus so that we see the Father. So we can trust the Father. We fix our eyes on Jesus because this is exactly what He did, is it not? He suffered. But we don't just look at him as a model. We look to him to find out why we should keep going through suffering and difficulty. It's not just that he's a good example for us. Because there's something radically different about Jesus. Our suffering, we can look at it and say, well, yeah, I kind of made this mistake or I, I earned this or I can see where I was wrong. Our suffering, the joy that's set before us, right, is to get out of the suffering. The joy that's set before us is to get into God's presence. The joy that's set for us is to be free from sin. The joy that's set for us is, is all of these things. But which of those did Jesus need? 
Remember it says, for the joy that was set, verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. We endure suffering because we want to get out of all these things, because we don't have, because we lack. Which of these was Jesus lacking? Was he, was he, was he lacking a holy place to live? No, he's in the presence of God. What Was he lacking community? No, he had God and the Holy Spirit, and there was perfect community there. What, was, he, was he lacking any of these things? What was the joy that was set before him? The joy that was set before him was you and me. He loved us. The joy was to see us come to experience the Father the way that he's experienced the Father. The joy was for us to be set free from sin. The joy was to see us come to understand who God is and that he's better than anything that life can give to us or death could take away from us. That was the joy. It was out of deep love. Jesus didn't come to become better. In Jesus' suffering, he was seeking us. That tells us a lot about the Father's heart in your suffering. Your suffering is not because God does not care. Your suffering is because God cares so much. So my question for us today is, will we take that and say, Jesus, I don't understand all this. I can't see all this. I can't put all the pieces together. The suffering in my life has marked me so deeply that it could sound almost glib to kind of say, God, I'm going to just trust you. That even though these sinful people have done, have left these marks on my life, the reality is you've been working all this time and your motive is love and your understanding is perfect. And your execution is flawless. You've given me what I need. You've given me what I need in this sickness. You're drawing me to you. You, You've given me what I need in this spouse or my lack of a spouse. You've given me what I need even in the rebellion of my children. Or if my children are far away and I can't be connected to them right now. Your plans are not harmful. They're non-destructive. They're purposely designed. They only last as long as necessary. And they're only for my good. Man, it's going to take us reminding each other of this day in and day out. Amen? Because this is what's true. Do you need to repent of anything? Is there anger? Frustration? Repentance sets us free. I encourage you to take time today as we sing to be able to go to him and simply say, God, I'm sorry. Help me to see your love for me in this. Help me to trust you when I can't see.
Thank you, Jesus, for loving us. Thank you for suffering, but thank you also for transforming us during this day through our suffering. I thank you that our pain is not um, meaningless. I thank you instead that our pain is actually your love working in us. We love you, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.